Did you know there was a free five-part podcast series all about classroom management? In this series, learn how I went from using traditional classroom management strategies without a lot of success to becoming a behavior detective. Discover how I help children with root cause of their behavior issues instead of just addressing the behavior itself. If you want to take a listen to this new series, just check the show notes. You're listening to the Lovely Preschool Teachers Podcast, the podcast for quick, actionable ideas and tips to help you up your confidence and joy in educating little learners. I'm your host, Ashley Rives. Let's get to the show. Hey there, and welcome back to the Lovely Preschool Teachers Podcast. You're listening to episode 72, Going Beyond Managing Behaviors. This episode is the fourth in a five-part series on classroom management. I hope you'll join me next week as well for the fifth and final episode in this series. If you missed any of the prior episodes in this series, head back to episodes 69, 70, and 71. Question for you, are you a teacher or are you a manager? I don't know about you, but I refer to myself as a preschool teacher not a preschool manager. But what's crazy is when we think about the term classroom management, we really are thinking of how we can control and manage the behaviors in our classroom. Why not teach them? I didn't sign up to be managing behaviors. I signed up to teach. And that teaching shouldn't just mean academic skills alone. We don't call it education management. We call it educating. We are helping children learn. So when it comes to classroom management, why aren't we helping them learn the expectations of our classroom and of our social world? Think about it this way. If we observe that a child cannot recognize shapes, what do we do? We work with them, right? We teach them, we do different activities with them. We find ways for them to learn these shapes. We certainly do not punish them for something that they don't know. What do we do if we observe a child hit another child? We punish them. We put them in timeout, we set them out, we tell them not to hit, we make them apologize, and we do it over and over again, hoping that the hitting will stop, which Albert Einstein famously said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. The truth bomb is, it takes just as much energy to get angry and punish the behavior as it does to teach children a different way. This truth bomb hit me pretty hard when I was talking to a former neighbor about his dad. His dad was suffering from Alzheimer's And his brother was just always so frustrated with him. He's frustrated because he couldn't remember things. He was frustrated because he couldn't understand what he was telling him anymore. And he would get angry and he would lash out. And what my former neighbor said was the truth bomb that I needed for my own classroom. And that was that, you know, he gets mad, but he could just say it again, knowing that he doesn't remember what he just asked. And he went on to explain, I think it takes just as much energy to just say it again versus getting mad. And I said, well, actually, maybe less, right? Because you're not having that emotional response to it. You're just simply answering the question again. 
And while caring for a parent with Alzheimer's is definitely different than teaching preschoolers, that lesson stuck with me that, you know what? Getting angry takes just as much energy as it does just to teach it. Or again, perhaps it takes more energy when we're getting frustrated. You may have already talked to a certain student about a certain behavior 10 times and you're over it and you just want to be done with it. But if you believe that behavior is a form of communication, then you can ask yourself, what are they trying to tell me? Why are they doing this behavior? And then I can take the same energy that I would be using to get frustrated and instead flip the script and teach them, teach them what is missing. Ever since I've kind of flipped the script on the way I look at behavior, it has definitely become less stressful for me. Like I I no longer look at it from the point of, oh my gosh, you're driving me crazy to, okay, what's the real problem here that we could solve? It feels doable. It feels figure outable and it doesn't feel so heavy and it doesn't make me want to run away screaming at the end of the day. That to say, of course, there's days where I don't get it right. And of course, sometimes I backslide and have to, you know, re-remind myself of what I'm really wanting to do with behaviors in the classroom. It's not a perfect journey by any stretch of the means, but it definitely has taken a lot of that anguish out of me for, I can't handle these children. They're all just too crazy to really what's going on here. Because when I feel like the problem is solvable, I feel more hopeful than I do when I'm just frustrated and I don't know what else to do. So I found addressing certain behaviors takes place in two different forms. The first is in the moment, right when it's happening with a specific student or group of students. And the other is intentionally with the whole class. So we're going to take a look at both those and how we can maybe prevent some of the behaviors that we have seen in the past in our classroom and how we can teach right there when it matters the most. So let's start with teaching missing skills in the moment. This is obviously the most effective time that we can work on missing skills because it's happening right there in real time. Now, preface to say that if a child is overly upset, isn't able to focus on, you know, what you're saying and trying to help them, then it's obviously not a good time because nothing will get done then. But if it's a skill where children are mostly calm or you're finding that that you helping them is helping calm them to figure out the, the answer to their problem or how to handle their problem, then that is honestly the best way because we learn when we're doing. And that's really what I like to stop what I'm doing and go straight to the problem. So instead of just yelling from across the room, don't hit him, no hitting, we don't hit I get up and I go over and figure out what's really going on. Oh, he hit you. You didn't like that. Make sure you tell him with your really big words. What made you want to hit him? What happened? You know, kind of going through all of it. And well, next time, maybe you could try this and really coaching them through that moment so that they can learn directly in the moment. Again, if you're able with that child, if not, maybe it's just time for them to take a little break calm down a bit, 
take some deep breaths, do some, you know, coping strategies with that child and let them kind of work through those things before we can begin to even address what really went on. But if you can, I take those moments very seriously. I stop what I'm doing and I go there because I never know when they're going to happen exactly. But I know that when they do happen, they are just like this golden opportunity for me to coach children and how they can handle this problem. So I really make sure to drop what I'm doing, even if it's small group, say, give me a second, I'll be right back. And we talk through that. Or I say, okay, we're going to be done for today, you know, whatever it might be. That way I am present for that because that is one way that I am teaching missing skills in the moment. And I often have to remind myself that because we worked through this in real time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to happen again. We know that children usually don't learn something the first time they hear it. So obviously this is going to work in a very similar way. Children need to practice many times with support before they can break any of those behavior habits that may have developed before they even walked into your classroom. Patience, repetition is key. And eventually the day will come when you observe that child handling the situation appropriately by themselves. And it is the best feeling in the world because you know you've helped them with a skill that is truly important for them. And they're doing it. And you're just so proud of them. So remind yourself often that yes, while I've said this 10 times, it may really take that many times. We, you know, if we go back to the academic example, if I told you what a circle was 10 times and you still didn't know, we're not going to get frustrated with you. We're going to find a different way for you to figure that out, find a different way to teach it. So that's the same way we can look at this. I have helped you 10 times through this. It's still not working. Maybe we need to try something different. And while in the moment is I feel like the absolute best way. I've also found some ways to implement some things into our whole group to really kind of help curb some of these things, maybe before they happen or address them in a whole group manner. So for example, teaching skills before behaviors happen. I used to be so incredibly guilty of assuming that children magically knew how to behave in different situations. I would think, well, you know, surely they know how to act when we walk in the hall. It isn't that hard. And I have to reframe that thinking and say, well, they're four. Have they been to school before? Have they ever walked in a line? What, you know, what can I honestly really expect from them? And I get frustrated because they're not doing what I want, but I used to be so incredibly guilty of never really being explicit about what I wanted. This is what I want to see when we do this. I was just going, well, why can't they figure this out? It's not that hard. And that was a me issue. That wasn't a them issue. That was a me having my expectations that weren't in line. So if I would have just taught children what I expected, they could have so much more easily met my expectations without me having to get frustrated, without me having to like, oh my gosh, why can't you not just walk in a line? If I taught them what that looked like and we practiced it, then they're more able to understand and get it. I was missing that teaching part. I was missing that communication part of my expectations. So now I tell them everything. 
Like honestly, everything. Step by step, I have like really worked on reframing the idea of they know it and instead saying, let's assume they know nothing. Let's assume they are fresh out of the womb because honestly, they kind of are. I mean, they have not been on this planet for very long. They don't have the experiences that I do. And so I tell them everything step by step. If there's something coming up, I just, I tell them everything. If there's something in the way of the hall, I tell them that beforehand. There's going to be this in the hallway. It's going to surprise you. We aren't going to touch it because it's not ours. I like literally every little thing I now tell them. And sometimes I even like to put my expectations in a song. So for example, when we go to chapel time, I'm in a faith-based program. I always sing this song. When we go to chapel, what do we do? We sit on our bottoms, hands in our laps, eyes are straightforward, our ears are listening, and we add like, you know, motions to it. And, you know, it's every time. So I'm telling you what I'm expecting. And I sing it multiple times. And sometimes if, you know, they're not able to grasp one part of it, I'll just sing that part. Oh, we sit on our bottoms. And it's just that reminder of, oh, yeah, this is what we do here. I also make procedure cards that show in pictures step-by-step of what they're expected to do for a certain procedure. I do this for everything that we do that I have a specific expectation. It's really hard to meet someone's expectation when you don't even know what they're really expecting from you. And, you know, I also, of course, have to give reminders because they're only four years old. So really, again, it's about retraining my own thoughts on what I'm expecting from them. I went from expecting something that they obviously are showing me they can't do and reframed it into, let me just tell you all the things so that you can be successful. Another way that I like to be proactive is by teaching social emotional skills in a whole group setting. Does everybody need the same exact social emotional skill? Are they all missing the skill? No, not necessarily. Sometimes if I'm seeing, you know, a problem in the classroom, I can pull that specific social emotional skill to help address it. But in general, if I'm not seeing anything huge sticking out glaring, we just do some general things that I know that children need to know. And this really helps just kind of level the playing field. Because when you're working one-on-one with a student in the moment or, you know, two-on-one, three-on-one, Not everybody else is getting that experience either. So I like to kind of level that playing field by doing these social emotional lessons in a purposeful way so that everyone has the same language. Everyone has that experience to draw on. So if I do need it when I'm having, you know, these in the moment times, I can relate that back to this experience that we had together. Remember when we read the book about this? Remember when we talked about this? This way, they have schema when they are working in the moment. Not only do I love that, you know, obviously we're all on kind of the same page, I also have noticed the benefit of children reminding each other or children taking that lesson and bringing it in to their peer interactions. So for example, After doing a lesson on being upset and what to do when you're mad, I've heard children in play say, is there a way I can help you calm down? 
They're using what they've learned from the lesson and applying it to this person they see in distress. And that wasn't something I saw coming out of these lessons. I really was looking at the whole, you know, everybody's kind of on the same page, has the same vocabulary, we can use it to draw on previous experience. But this part surprised me, and it was a great surprise, because I'm seeing them become more empathetic towards each other, more understanding towards each other, because even if it's not a struggle for them, they now know through this social emotional lesson, yeah, sometimes people get real mad and they just need a little bit of time to calm down. And that's okay. And maybe I can help them do that. Boy, does the world need more of that, right? And so actually seeing children use those in the social situations with their peers has just been incredible, absolutely incredible. We also did a lesson about waiting patiently, and we talked about what patient meant and how it can be really hard. And we read a book about I'll wait, Mr. Panda. And, you know, they really dug into that idea of patience. And I had a student this year say, Oh my goodness, I hate to wait, but I'm going to try my best to be patient. So they're normalizing that, right? They're getting that. I understand that this is frustrating, but I'm going to try my best to stay calm and just wait my turn. Like, amazing to me. Amazing to me what these little four-year-olds are capable of when we really give them the chance. During these little social-emotional mini lessons, it's a very intentional time. I try to keep it as short as I can. I've noticed as the year goes on, more discussion happens and they are able to, you know, kind of keep zoned in on that discussion because they are the ones providing it. But we first usually read a book that is related to the social emotional skill that we're working on, because I found that it's much easier for them to relate to characters and see themselves through those characters than it is just to maybe discuss the problems actually going on in the classroom. I never like to use actual students when we're doing this, because I don't want them to feel, you know, any shame or blame, or I don't want other children to look at them like, yeah, you've got this problem. I really want it to come from a neutral space. So we read a book about that skill and really talk about the characters. Then we may do some role play again, not with them, with, you know, puppets or like little animals, toy animals, things like that. And then we may do a really quick activity where we might sort or we might talk about things that we could do to be kind or just just a small, short activity. And I like to keep this obviously quick and to the point, but I've been surprised at how much they are receptive to this and how sometimes they'll even take a situation and relate it back to the book. Been super powerful If you want to learn more about the mini lessons that I use, they're already, you know, done and ready. I've got them in my cabinet. I got the books that go with them. So I just grab a lesson in the book and I'm ready to roll. I'll put a link to these mini lessons in the show notes. They are digital. You just print them out yourself. That link will be there for you in case you're interested. Between teaching skills in the moment, teaching skills before behaviors happen, and being intentional with teaching skills in whole group, I have noticed such a big difference in the way my class culture is and also the way that I approach different situations. 
And my children know this. They know that I'm going to help them in the moment. I'm going to coach them. I am their cheerleader. I am on their side. And honestly, I rarely, rarely ever have anyone sit out in my classroom. I rarely have, you know, any timeouts per se, any sending them anywhere. That's pretty rare because of the work that I have done on my outlook on behaviors and the things that we are intentionally doing in the classroom. Not to say that that will never happen. It does occasionally if someone is being unsafe, we have to be very cognizant and aware of the other children in the room. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about when things don't work the way that, you know, we have anticipated what to do when the supports that you've been putting in place just really aren't working. So I hope you will join me next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a friend. This helps me spread the word and help more preschool teachers just like you. Keep being lovely. Lovely.